This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.7 in DeKalb Sycamore, no, 89.1, I'm sorry, in DeKalb Sycamore. I had a comma across that one. It looked like a seven. 89.3 in Morris Joliet. 88.9 in Rockford area and Marengo, Harvard in Beloit. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember always, we are brought to you by you and your donations make our show possible and also make the station possible in all of the good programs that are brought to you from EWTN. So any donation you can make is always appreciated. And if you have uh, the chance to make a donation, do that now. Our uh, website is uh, catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. You can make a donation by going to that website. It'll tell you a little bit more about us and the things that we do. And maybe give you some ideas on something that you can do yourself to help us out. Uh, if you would like to phone us, our number is 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. You can call us. But the easiest thing to do is go to our website, and it will help you uh, make a donation uh, very easily there. And we hope that you'll do that. Um, as I said, I'm here with my wife, Lynn, today. We're going to talk uh, first a little bit about uh, what I mentioned on the last show uh, some uh, a little bit more on just war and an article uh, that I read from, and we're going to finish that whole article. So stay with us. We'll talk about that. In the meantime, I'm going to turn this over to my wife, Lynn, and let her have what she has to say. Hello out there. You know, Lent has started, started Wednesday. We've been trying to, well, three days so far, gotten to Mass in the morning. I used to go to Mass every day before I went to work. Then after I retired, I don't know what happened. I retired and <laughs> haven't been getting to daily Mass. And I really had missed it. But we got back and we both enjoy the quietness of being at Mass and during the week. It's just, it's wonderful. I don't know, on the weekend sometimes it just gets... Oh, there's too much going on. People coming and talking and stuff. But I've really enjoyed getting to Mass. What are you doing for Lent this year? You know, you don't have to always give things up, but it's good to do something. That's what the Lord had asked. Do something. And there's a meditation from uh, the Word Among Us publication. I picked this up at church, and uh, today's meditation is, Jesus, I am ready to enter the desert this Lent. I trust in your promise to walk with me and bring me into your kingdom. Let's dwell on that for this next week and go to the desert with Jesus. Set a time, time, Set a time, some time where you can really meditate and think about what Jesus went through during his last days here on earth and join with him. 
unite your suffering or troubles with his suffering on the cross, you'd be surprised how good you will feel and how much easier it makes things. So that's my plug for the today. And, you know, we could use some uh, help, volunteer help out there, especially in the new areas, in the Rockford and Morris and so forth, in those areas, in your parish. And be think about becoming a parish missionary, which would mean distributing uh, and putting up the bulletins and so forth. Uh, not the bulletins, the... Uh, flyers that we send out and EW10 does so if you can give us a call and join us thank you that's a really good idea because that would be doing something for Lent and uh, if you want to go to Mass uh, for Lent or if you have been away from the church for a while or away from Mass it's a good time to start to go in the morning like that Uh, probably most places are like here uh, morning mass during the week is sort of a quiet time, and uh, it's very simple, and uh, it's something you can do before you get into work. And again, uh, as Lynn said, something that you can do would be to go to our website, learn more about us, and if you can, in the area that you're in, as Lynn said, uh, try to do whatever you can to uh, promote uh, our radio station and let people know that we're in existence Uh we have things that can be sent to you. You can contact us. So uh, it would be all kinds of good activities along those lines to do for Lent. You would be helping us. And, of course, you would be helping uh, Catholicism in general and uh, helping spread the word. So look into that if you can. Uh, last week uh, we were talking about uh, just war to some extent. We talked about the fact of uh, uh, some of the heroic efforts of our servicemen and uh, I talked a little bit about the just war theory, and I was reading from an article in First Things Magazine, and uh, it's the uh, March 2024 edition of First Things. And I was uh, reading from an article uh, in the opinion section. The title of it was Undermining Just War. I think I, I just didn't yeah, give the title. I just mentioned that it was concerning just war. And I read a little bit from the article and said that uh, this week, if we had time, we'd do the whole thing, and that's what I'm going to do. And uh, it's, it's you know, longer than I was able to do last week, but uh, probably isn't going to take up this whole hour. We'll have a little bit more, you know, other than this as well. But uh, it is concerns uh, capital punishment and just war and some of uh, Pope Francis's theories. It's an article by Richard Castleman, who is a, an active duty Air Force officer writing, you know, for the magazine First Things. And, of course, First Things, uh, you know, is a magazine that is weighted, I think, pretty much toward Catholicism, but it incorporates uh, various uh, Christian religions and also uh, some of the points of view of Judaism as well. And it's published uh, by the Institute on Religion and Public Life. And uh, the editor, R.R. Reno, is a Catholic, and uh, the former editor, uh, John Newhouse, also was a Catholic, a Catholic convert, I think, from Anglicanism, and uh, R.R. Reno took over for him. And so uh, this article uh, in the magazine itself has some opinions on some of the the issues going on in the Catholic Church, and so we'll do a few of those today concerning uh, 
Pope Francis. So I'm going to read from this this title, Undermining Just War. And as we read the whole article, you can see what the, what the author means by that. Uh, it says here, uh, Pope Francis has denounced capital punishment in recent years, and responses from concerned Catholics have focused largely on whether the Holy Father's words represent a faithful account of the Church's fundamental teaching. Amid this debate, most have overlooked the fact that Francis's approach undermines one of the Church's most important contributions to public life, and that is just war doctrine. And we talked, you know, about that last week because we were talking about uh, a man who was a hero in World War II, and World War II was considered a just war. I mean, after all, uh, the Allies, and we were, you know, stopping uh, the Holocaust and stopping what was going on in Nazi Germany. And uh, there was certainly justice in defending people against uh, the aggression that was taking place in Europe at that time. And, of course, later on, uh, in the Pacific as well. But it says here, Francis has pondered whether any war or execution can ever be just. In Fratelli Tutti, he writes, there are two extreme situations that may come to be seen as solutions in especially dramatic circumstances without our realizing that they are false answers. These supposed solutions, Francis continues, ultimately do no more than introduce new elements of destruction in the fabric of national and global society. These are war and the death penalty. And uh, certainly war does introduce destruction. So in that respect, uh, Francis is right so far. And then he goes on. He says, despite Francis's characterization of both war and the death penalty as false answers, the Vatican has recently, if grudgingly, admitted that countries such as Israel and Ukraine have a right to self-defense. Thus, the Vatican permits defensive war in line with international law while prohibiting capital punishment. Can these two positions be maintained together? Ultimately, uh, Mr. Castleman says, I believe they cannot. The authority for prosecuting a just war and the authority for administrating ministering capital punishment have the same grounds. To undermine the one is necessarily to undermine the other. The church may be correct to constrain capital punishment, but it cannot prohibit it without jettisoning the just war tradition. And look, I, I, I agree with that position, and I think uh, people will see why. You may disagree, but I think the case is pretty solid. Uh, of course, you know, capital punishment is a prudential decision, but the church has always taught uh, throughout its history that uh, it is permissible. And uh, I know that Francis said that uh, capital punishment is against the gospel, and that has always puzzled me. I've mentioned that before. I've never quite understood that. It seems to me if you say it's against the gospel, then the church has been teaching error for 2,000 years. Uh, if it permits it, because certainly we couldn't permit something that would be against the gospel. I don't think that's the case. I think Francis might have just been saying that sort of like off the top of his head without really thinking it through. It says here in Romans 13.4, St. Paul authorizes the political sovereign to use the power of the sword to avenge wrongdoing. 
Pontiffs, doctors of the church, and other important figures have interpreted this description of legitimate authority as applying to the political sovereign both internally and externally. The state may punish both domestic and foreign offenders when the sovereign judges it necessary for the common good. Aquinas quotes Augustine on this point. A just war is wont to be described as one that avenges wrongs when a nation or state has to be punished. Only legitimate political authority, the highest authority tasked with care for the common good of a political community, is authorized to use lethal force to punish. In the Christian tradition, as a rule, all private killing must be unintentional, justified under the principle of double effect. The paradigmatic case is self-defense. In other words, in self-defense, of course, everyone is entitled to defend themselves against aggression or to defend their family, their wife, their children, or, or relations, or even their neighbors against uh, offensive acts. But the idea is, is to end the offensive act. And if that offensive act ends and the uh, guilty party, the offending party, uh, ceases and desists or retreats, then the defending people do not have the authority to follow up and kill that person. That is up to the state, which, of course, uh, under Catholicism, the idea is, is that proper state authority is under the rule and law of God, and uh, it would then have the authority to commit capital punishment or to fight a war to keep the incident from happening again. But the strictly self-defense, when you're defending yourself as soon as the offensive act is over or the offensive person or parties cease and desist, then the individual has no further right to go ahead and, 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 and exact punishment. That would be up to the legitimate uh, forces of the state. So this is what that's saying here. It says... Uh, Thomas Aquinas discusses this in Summa 2.240 and 64. In self-defense, one does not desire the death of the attacker. One wishes simply to end the assault and would be satisfied if the assailant desisted or fled. Because it is unintentional, killing in self-defense requires no higher authority. In other words, it, you just invoke the natural law that you have a right to defend yourself to the extent that you can kill the attacker if the person keeps on attacking. But as soon as the attack is over, again, uh, the, the person ceases and desists, and then the, the defender has to cease and desist also and call in the state forces. So that's how that works. Uh, <clears throat> private individuals or groups may intend to save themselves foreseeing but not intending to kill the attacker. They do not have the authority to kill intentionally. The authority to inflict death as punishment is reserved to God because he is the exclusive arbiter of life and death. And according to Catholic teaching, that uh, authority from God is delegated to the proper authority of the state. In capital punishment and just war, recourse to the sword involves non-defensive killing. That is offensive, even aggressive action in the sense of taking the initiative. The criminal is taken from prison and executed, or war is declared. In the classical natural law tradition, 
Offensive killing is permissible only when it is authorized by a legitimate political authority deriving its power from God. And after you find that in Romans 13, 4. And such an authority may kill only under very strict conditions in the context of international relations. The elaboration of these restrictions produce what we call the tradition of just war. And that's what the church permits. And the church has uh, commented on this for a very, very long time. And it's uh, one of the Catholic Church's contribution to the civilized world. Yes, and in the Catechism, chapter, uh, paragraph 2312 says, the mere fact that war has regrettably broken out does not mean that everything becomes illicit between the warring parties. So that backs up what uh, the author of your article says. Exactly, and there's a very clear understanding of the difference between self-defense and uh, just war. And we'll, we'll get on further with this. And uh, the article will show where Francis has made a mistake here in uh, condemning you know, capital punishment entirely because to do so is to actually damage the understanding uh, of just war. So we're going to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Ray Goretti, host of The Doctor Is In. For me, Catholic Radio is it's an opportunity to be focused on and be intentional about taking time, doing what our Lord said. Go to all the world, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. Invite others into this work the Holy Spirit is already doing. Invite them to listen. Invite others to a deeper encounter with Christ. Got an old vehicle taking up space in your garage or rusting outside? Catholic Spirit Radio would love to have it. Turn your worn-out vehicle into a donation. Simply call 866-628-CARS or go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and catholicspiritradio.com. If you have some extra time, Put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station. 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas. Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking about the theory of just war, the church's understanding of just war. And we're talking about uh, Francis's condemnation of capital punishment and uh, his idea that capital punishment uh, is not permissible. 
And uh, there is a relationship, uh, according to this article, uh, between capital punishment and just war and to limit capital punishment in the way that Francis has uh, talked about it uh, is, according to the author here in this article, to also damage or to, you know, destroy the whole theory of just war, which the church supports. And he's saying, you know, you can't have one without the other. You can have a prudential uh, use of capital punishment. You can point out that uh, when it's not necessary to use capital punishment, then we shouldn't use it. But uh, in some cases, it may be necessary. But nevertheless, uh, capital punishment under certain circumstances is permissible. And Francis is saying it's not permissible. And the point of the article here is, is that to say that capital punishment is not permissible is to, in effect, also say that uh, the theory of just war is uh, damaged and limited by, you know, that pronouncement. So we're going to go on with the article and show how that uh, is the case. And uh, I think that uh, the, the author, you may disagree, but I think the author makes his case. And I think Francis in saying that uh, uh, capital punishment is not permissible, is not thinking things through and not understanding how, his pronouncement is interfering with the proper theory of just war. It goes on here. It says, current understandings of the concept of defense have caused a great deal of confusion about just war. Contemporary international law, which the Vatican endorses, permits wars of self-defense and condemns wars of aggression. But what counts as defense? Classical authors strove for clarity. In their account, if an attack is ongoing, then the response in kind is considered defensive. If the attack has ended or been suspended, a response in kind is considered offensive. Unfortunately, international law today largely eliminates distinctions between completed, that is, enemy soldiers attack and then retreat, and ongoing, enemy soldiers are in a live engagement, causes of war. In other words, there's a, a, a confusion between ongoing causes of war and causes of, of war in which an attack is no longer ongoing. Uh, most wars that are called defensive by international law will be offensive in a view of classical just war. In other words, if an enemy attacks you and the state then has the authority to defend you, of course, but since the state has the authority given by God, a legitimate state. The state does not have to stop when the enemy retreats. If the enemy retreats, the state is still entitled, just like in capital punishment, to carry out punishment for that attack. That is to go on the offensive. In other words, it's, it's a act of defense to engage the enemy when the enemy engages you but the state can continue to engage the enemy even if the enemy retreats because the enemy now is a has committed a criminal act and deserves punishment. And just like a state can punish a criminal after the criminal has committed his act, so too can it do the same thing when another country attacks in an act of war. And so it's a little bit different than self-defense. The state can actually go on the offensive just like it can go on the offensive if it later hangs a criminal who has been imprisoned. An easy example illustrates the problem. 
Imagine you and your family are attacked in your home. You are permitted to defend yourselves in this instance, even to point to the point of killing the intruder. Such killing would be strictly defensive. The attacker's knife is at your throat, either literally or as a realistic prospect. As long as the assault is ongoing, you can intentionally save your own life by killing your attacker. From a classical perspective, this private action is akin to defensive war. A foreign army storms across the border and defending forces swing into action. Both the individual and the communal examples are permitted directly by the natural law. One need not consult just war guidelines because the attack is going on and the people doing the defending have the right to defend even to the point of death as long as that attack is going on. However, notwithstanding this natural right to self-defense, we are not permitted to repel an attacker and then pursue him into his house to kill him. That is, we as individuals in a state, for example, once the attacker runs away or ceases and desists, we can't pursue him and carry out punishment. That is up to the state. Uh, <clears throat> so we can't uh, hand out punishment for violating our domestic tranquility or in order to prevent him from doing it again. We are especially not permitted to gather up our neighbors, find the attacker's home, and ambush him, killing him and his friends. Thomas calls this kind of killing uh, strife as opposed to proper war. Even if the offending neighbor and his friends put up a fight, vigilante justice would be considered murder under most accounts of criminal law. In other words, once the attacker is ceases and desists, or once we have the attacker holed up in his home and, on, and he on defensive himself, then we have to call in the proper authorities. They arrest then the attacker and carry out the punishment after a trial and so forth at a later date. So we have a right to defense, not offense. We must let the police and the courts, uh, representatives of the legitimate authority, undertake our the offensive task of meeting out justice. That is, you know, individual acts of self-defense. This offensive activity is exactly what occurs during war. One political community commits a grave wrong against another, a precondition for procuring a just war, often involving the death of innocents and the destruction of property. The offended community probably responds by declaring war on the attacking community. According to just war principles, this declaration allows the wrong nation to engage in offensive war at any time against enemy forces, even in enemy territory, precisely the pursuit that is not permitted in case of private self-defense. In other words, in private self-defense, we would pursue an attacker to his home, once the attacker has stopped attacking, we would then call in the proper authorities and let them execute the punishment to that attacker and decide, you know, what's proper. We don't have the authority to continue on and go on the offensive and kill the attacker once the attack stops. So, but in just war, the attacking country can do that. In other words, it not only can defend, it can go on the offensive in response to the offense, to the initial offense of the attacking party. In other words, just war involves offensive killing, action initiated to protect territorial integrity and exact retribution for an unjust attack. In this respect, 
speaking of just war, as undertaken only in self-defense, is mistaken, or at least misleading. In other words, just war isn't strictly defensive. Just war means once we are engaged in defending ourselves, we can pursue the attacker even if the attacker retreats and we can mete out punishment by killing the attacker or the attacking armies and so forth to prevent this from happening again, making sure that our people are safe. The state is allowed to pursue this because the state has that authority given from God. All authority comes from God to do this, to protect its citizens. Whereas an individual does not. The individual has to stop and let the state take over if the attacker runs away or the attacker is no longer a threat. Modern defensive wars are not actually akin to individual self-defense. We, in self-defense, are never permitted to intend to kill in self-defense. Yet intentional killing of combatants, offensive killing, that is, is the very object of most military actions, even when it is undertaken in a just cause. Why do we permit intentional killing in just war, but condemn it in instances of private killing? After all, both cases can involve responses to grave violations of justice. The crucial distinction is this. Killing in war is under the command of legitimate authority, whereas vigilante killing is not. In other words, when we defend ourselves, we are not the state. We can, by natural law, defend ourselves even to the point of killing our attacker. But once the attack is over and the attacker is no longer a threat, then we can't pursue an offensive uh, action and go out and kill the attacker. We have to call in the proper authorities and let them do that. This brings us to the crux of the problem with contemporary Catholic teaching on the death penalty. So here's where the death penalty, Francis's pronouncement on the death penalty, comes into conflict with the theory of just war. Just war requires the same legitimate authority as is needed for capital punishment. Undermining the authority needed for capital punishment undermines the authority needed for a just war. That is, it undermines the authority needed for the state to be able to take offensive action against a, uh, an attacker even after the attack has stopped. The logic of the matter is difficult to escape. To engage in offensive war, we must rely on the exclusive authority of the political community delegated by God to kill offensively. Only the legitimate authority can command a counterattack. Yet by rejecting the moral legitimacy of capital punishment, we deny the authority of the political community to kill offensively, thereby rendering war-making nearly impossible, no matter how just the cause. If the only licit kind of killing is self-defense, as is the case for individuals, then Hamas or some other force could make deadly incursions into Israel on a regular basis. They could retreat immediately to their enclaves and the state of Israel would be morally forbidden to take offensive action by entering the enclaves to engage the hostile forces. It would be similar to an individual uh, when he is attacked and the attacker runs away. Uh, the individual is forbidden to follow and to kill that uh, person or that attacker. Uh, this, he has to call in the state. But if the state is forbidden, as it is, <laughs> is for, in this case, then 
there would be no way to defend the community against constant attacks uh, by an attacker. It would be as if uh, uh, an attacker attacks the individual and the individual has to stop uh, attacking if the attacker uh, gives up or runs away and there was nobody else to do anything. In other words, if you had a situation like that, then the attacker could keep on attacking over and over. That's what we have the state for, to stop that from happening again. And that's why in self-defense, we have to stop the attack. And if the attack stops, then we have to call in the state. We can't continue to ex- to carry out the punishment ourselves. So the state has the authority. The state has to have that same authority in just war. If it doesn't have the authority to do it on an individual basis, then it doesn't have the authority to do it on a war basis either. It says, in the case of Vladimir Putin, for example, Vladimir Putin could declare a unilateral ceasefire and the Ukrainian forces would have to stand down just as a man defending its home must refrain from killing if the intruder puts down his weapon. And in saying this, I'm using here an illustration, you know, with Putin. That does not mean that the United States has to go become involved in every uh, conflict that comes along over the whole world. The proper authority of the United States is to defend its own citizens, and it has to be very careful to decide whether or not a foreign war is something in which it needs to engage. So I'm not trying to make a case here that we should be involved in an attack on Russia or an attack on uh, the Russian forces in Ukraine or that the United States has to be the defender of every country that's uh, attacked in the whole world. Those countries uh, have a responsibility to defend themselves as well. Europe, for example, also has a great responsibility. Uh, There are some instances in which it is just for a country to be involved in a foreign war, and there are some cases in which it's unjust or not necessary. And uh, so, again, I'm not using this to make uh, an, you know the idea that we have to be fighting in Ukraine or in fighting in the Middle East or fighting somewhere else. It's just an illustration that a country has a different responsibility and a different authority than an individual. And uh, if you take that authority away, then you would have a situation in which a country could not go on the attack to defend itself from uh, constant attacks, and uh, that would be unjust in itself. So, in short, either the state retains the right to punish wrongdoers in both the domestic and the international context, or it retains the right in neither. In fact, if one were to choose, it would seem that the state's clearer claim is to the domestic use of the sword since it has natural jurisdiction over its own citizens, whereas greater ambiguity surrounds the question of external jurisdiction among countries. And that's what I'm saying here. In other words, it's very clear that if we were attacked by a foreign country, our citizens were being attacked and hurt in any way, the state has a very clear uh, uh, responsibility to defend its citizens and if that means to pursue the attacker to wherever he's at and to to the point of death, the state has the authority to do that. And it has to have that authority. And if it has that authority to do that against foreign attackers, it also has the authority to do the same thing against domestic attackers. In other words, if the state 
captures a an attacker and puts that attacker in prison, the state can also decide if that attacker is dangerous enough to be put out of existence, you know, by uh, execution or something else. It has the legitimate right to do that, to keep its citizens from being under constant threat, whereas the individual citizen does not have that right. And so I think it's very clear that the individual citizens, in effect, the only reason the individual citizen has to stop is that there is a proper authority that will then step in after the, the attack is over and make sure that the attacker is either imprisoned in such a way that he will not be able to attack again or even killed in such a way that it will discourage and prevent others from doing the same thing. So the state does have that authority. We're going to have to stop here and, and take a break, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station, 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas. Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Hi, this is John Hall, president of Catholic Spirit Radio. Do you enjoy our programming? Well, we need your support to keep the programming at Catholic Spirit Radio on the air. If you already give, thank you. We appreciate your help. If you haven't given, we need your help now. To donate, go online at catholicspiritradio.com. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Or mail your donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or stop by 108 Boykins Place. God bless you and thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio. Got an old vehicle taking up space in your garage or rusting outside? Catholic Spirit Radio would love to have it. Turn your worn-out vehicle into a donation. Simply call 866-628-CARS or go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about uh, the connection that uh, capital punishment has to just war, and that just war has to capital punishment. And we're reading from an article in First Things Magazine, and that article is asserting that Francis's pronouncement that uh, capital punishment is impermissible uh, is also a— it does serious damage to the theory of just war. And that uh, Francis's pronouncement that capital punishment is impermissible is wrong, especially, you know, to the church's teaching for the last 2,000 years. It goes on here and says pretty much exactly that. It says, unfortunately, the Vatican has diminished the church's just war tradition, limiting it in both theory and practice at a time when it is desperately needed. It goes on, the conflicts in Ukraine and Gaza should remind us of the importance of just war principles. And again, they may remind us of just war principles, but I certainly, you know, I'm not advocating here 
Uh, that's for other people to decide whether we should be involved in a war, in a foreign war. Uh, certainly, though, we have to have the same theory as capital punishment to be involved in wars that defend our own citizens. And then those wars have to be offensive in the sense that the attackers of our own citizens would have to be pursued, even if they retreat, and they would have to be either captured or else they would have to be killed in order to uh, take the risk of our own citizens being hurt or killed in the future. In their absence, public discourse easily falls into the extremes of utopian ideals on the one hand and a harsh real politic on the other. Neither extreme does a good job of limiting violence and protecting innocent lives. The church must remain a strong proponent of the just war tradition. We certainly must. States do have a right to defend themselves, and they have a right to punish the aggressors, and that means going after the aggressors, killing or capturing them, and uh, preventing them from doing what they were doing and doing it again. Just like uh, Israel, for example, has the right to pursue Hamas into its hiding places and to punish them by either killing or capturing and in- imprisoning them and in some way making sure that they can't keep on doing what they were doing in the first place. The state has that authority. And to take away that authority in the case of an individual capital punishment is to take that authority away in punishing a whole nation as well. Yes, the uh, state... Or, uh, has a grave duty to protect. Yes, it does. And in the Catechism, in paragraph 2265, legitimate defense can on, not only a right, but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. The defense of the common good requires that an unjust aggressor be rendered unable to cause harm. For this reason, those who legitimately hold authority also have the right to use arms to repel aggressors against the civil community entrusted to their responsibility, which makes sense. Exactly. And that right, you know, can't be taken away. It, it doesn't mean, for example, that a state has to use capital punishment if it doesn't need to. It means that it's a prudential decision, but it can't be ruled out. You can't say that uh, capital punishment is impermissible. If you say that, then a just war would mean that offensive action against the enemy is impermissible. It would mean if the enemy retreats, that we can't do anything to that enemy. It would mean an enemy could attack over and over again, and every time it runs away, uh, we would have to stop the attack. I mean, we would have to stop the defense, and that's not uh, the, the theory of just war. This does not mean that Catholics must become enthusiastic champions of the death penalty any more than that they ought to cheer at the prospect of war, but merely that we cannot abandon the death penalty in principle. In order to sustain the just war tradition, we must maintain clarity about the legitimate authority, proper recourse to the sword. And therefore, the state has to have recourse to capital punishment if it should so deem it necessary, just as it has the same uh, uh, authority to go after an attacker that attacks the nation, even after that attacker stops the attack. So to limit one, to rule out one is to rule out the other. 
And so what uh, the article is saying here is that France is uh, often, in, in, in my opinion, uh, some of the things he says seems to be, and I'll use the phrase because I think it's appropriate, shooting from the hip. Uh, in other words, without thinking through the whole uh, theological, in other words, Francis seems to be acting emotionally and not acting theologically. In other words, you have to, in understanding church doctrine and church dogma, you have to understand the logical sequence and the, you know, the logics of what Christ has laid down, the principles that he's laid down for the church to follow. And uh, no matter what your emotions might tell you, sometimes you have to think things through and go against those emotions. And uh, it seems to be the case in, in a number of things that Francis uh, doesn't do that. And I'll get in a little bit more here to uh, a, a few other things as well. And so uh, my opinion is I side with this article. I always felt that the uh, pronouncement on capital punishment was wrong. Uh, the other thing that uh, Francis uh, goes on and that many people go on, and I'll continue with the capital punishment uh, uh, idea here and the just war theory here, uh, even if it takes up the rest of the hour, uh, there's this idea by a lot of people that somehow or another imprisoning uh, a prisoner, giving them life in prison and making sure that they can't do any further harm, also at the same time gives people a chance to see the wrongness of their act and what they have done and come to a con conversion and save souls. And indeed, uh, you know, I would admit that that is the case. But it seems to be the premise that uh, in every case, uh, a uh, life imprisonment, or that is sparing the person's life, would somehow lead uh, more often to a conversion of conscience and to a conversion that would save a person's soul than if the person were killed. In other words, people are saying, uh, don't kill, don't, don't exercise capital punishment, put the person in prison, give that person a chance to repent, give that person a chance to convert and save his soul. And that sounds very well. But in reality, are as many souls saved through life imprisonment as saved through capital punishment? And actually, the facts seem to say otherwise. Uh, there was a saying by the uh, uh, Samuel Johnson, uh, a, a 19th century figure who, or maybe it was 18th century, I'm not sure exactly what the, uh, was a, a, a very uh, pronounce a, a very good writer and uh, a person who uh, philosophized about many, many things. At any rate, one of his pronouncements was there is, you know, nothing like knowing that you are going to die in a fortnight. And in, in other words, in a few weeks, uh, that will in a wonderful way, that is, you know, do wonders to focus your mind. And, uh, Capital punishment often focuses the mind very, very, very strongly of a murderer or killer, knowing that they are going to face certain death. Uh, it makes them think very, very quickly about the possibility of suffering in an afterlife. And there are a lot of people who come to conversion and whose souls are saved simply because they know they are going to die. 
and they know they have to make a choice and they know they have to be sincere and they suddenly are confronted with the idea that maybe they are wrong about life and maybe they are wrong about the fact that there's an afterlife and maybe they are wrong about the fact that they can be punished for what they have done in an afterlife. And a lot of these people come to the conclusion of remorse and sorrow and uh, regret and uh, they, they reach a conversion, and they reach a conversion more often than the person given a life imprisonment. You know how it is when we all think we have a long time to live, and, you know, we don't have to worry about things, and we let things go. And uh, then when there's a sudden crisis, it focuses our minds on the very thing we should be thinking about is uh, what happens to us after we die. And how are we, you know, what if all of the authorities and the, the, the teaching of the church is, is right and correct, and we're making a mistake if we don't give this serious thought? And uh, so there are a lot of people who may die uh, of old age in prison, or in most cases, even when a person given his life in prison, when they are no longer considered harmful, a lot of them are let out. And a lot of these people die without repentance, and they could be sentenced to hell, uh, a lot uh, in in more numbers than people who are facing the death penalty and are put to death and actually come to a conversion because of that. So this idea that capital punishment uh, prevents people from converting is simply wrong. And uh, the, the statistics show that more people actually come to conversion and repentance and sorrow for what they have done who are facing certain death than people who are simply left a life in prison. Most of these people, a lot of times, spend most of their time trying to figure out ways to get out of prison early or to prove that they didn't do it or focusing on uh, lessening their sentences instead of focusing on what they should focus on, and that is the... the uh, The responsibility (laughs) they have in what they have done. Exactly, and focusing on the injustice of what they have done and focusing on uh, the fact that uh, they need to pay for their crimes. And there are those too, Bob, that have no conscience. And uh, all the incarceration in the world is not going to change them. They're going to get let out and do the same thing again because they don't have the the conscience that's rightly formed to tell them, this is wrong. That's the other thing. And then there has to be the concern for the people who have been, you know, on the receiving end of the, these attackers. And, uh, the fact that a lot of these people are, are, you know, they're unredeemable. Yes. Right. That, uh, that, that these people have done great harm to other people. And, uh, it's an injustice to the people who have been harmed, that uh, to know that probably the way things go, killers who are put into prison for life often get out long before their life sentence is completed. And the fact is, is that the people who are killed and gone are forgotten and no longer remembered. And all the focus is on the person who has done the killing. And it seems like a great injustice to the family. You know, the family wants closure. They want the idea that their loved one, uh, you know, has been avenged and brought to justice that uh, justice cries out for a form of God's vengeance, a form of uh, God's uh, justice, and they feel that they're not getting it. I mean, all the focus of attention 
it goes away from them and on to the person who has actually done the killing. And so that's a factor that has to be taken into consideration as well. And often it certainly is not. And so, uh, I, and like you say, Lynn, if some of these people are let out and they're still capable of harm, it often happens again. No matter how much we think you can, you know, re, re, uh, uh, rehabilitate somebody, you can never know that you have. And uh, you can never know for sure that a person couldn't be dangerous if they're let out and so on. So this idea that uh, capital punishment is impermissible, the church has never taught that. And it's like saying that all of the teaching of the church before Francis somehow was wrong, and only Francis has seen the light. And it seems to me that uh, this is, uh, you know, this is Francis is, has to carry a huge burden of proof that he really hasn't carried. And I don't think that he's thought this through. So, any any opinion that you want to have on that, Lynn? Well, in the very beginning, when Cain and Abel. That that incident, when the brother killed his brother, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground. And, you know, for your lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning. There should be a reckoning. It may be in kind. Uh, depends on, you know, when there are heinous crimes done, some awful things are done to other people, and then they end up dead. Somebody has to take the responsibility as to what was done to this person or persons. And sometimes, like I said before, they are not able to be rehabilitated anyway. And it's a serious thing to take a life. But in this day and age, we uh, have not backed down. We have backed down from that and gotten to the point where killing infants in the womb before they're even born, it has destroyed our respect for life. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse. We seem to be able to kill indiscriminately now. Is euthanasia, you name it. At any rate, uh, you know, we'll talk uh, further about this, but I want to also talk about it. We didn't get to it today. And so next week we'll talk a little bit about also uh, fiducia supplicans and uh, Francis's pronouncement uh, on this and, and how this is affecting things. But again, uh, this whole idea of... Uh, Capital punishment, uh, you know, this this idea that somehow or another the, you know, the death penalty is impermissible does not, in, you know, really fit in with the theory of just war. And uh, if you read in Scripture some of the things that Christ said about certain crimes, uh, certainly the, you know, capital punishment is permissible. And uh, there's also needs to be a greater understanding of in the way in which capital punishment discourages further crimes. It's not this, you know, it's not what people think of the idea that a criminal goes out and says, you know, is about ready to kill somebody and says, oh, that's right. If I pull this trigger, I might be uh, uh, killed or, you know, I, I might suffer capital punishment. That's not how 
the death penalty works in preventing crimes. In order to understand that, you need to know a little bit more about the, the psychology of the death penalty, how it affects a whole culture and how it affects whole society. And it is a preventative of crime along that lines, but not for the reasons that most people think. And not it certainly doesn't prevent crime at the point of uh, contact. It, it doesn't so somebody doesn't pull out a gun and say, oh, I better not shoot because there's a death penalty. That's not how it works, but it does have its effect on society, and it does definitely discourage. And so we're going to talk about that in the next show. We're going to talk also about the the uh, fiducia supplicants uh, and what some of the people in the church think of that as well, because these are issues that are at the forefront now, and we really do need to talk about them and understand them more fully. And so we're going to go into this. And again, uh, these all concern our Pope, and we should uh, understand a little bit more about them. So at any rate, we're going to stop here. Uh, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him and humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seek to the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.